From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. We have uh, developed a model that is uh, that is a team-based model that that calls on everyone in the the practice to uh, to contribute to the patient's needs and and defines roles for everyone, including uh, front office staff, people who help with access to care, people who recommend recommendations around how to and best practices around how to organize the workday. Um, uh, that puts a lot and asks a lot of the nursing staff to be care manager, to be identifying um, where preventive care is missing and to be taking care of a lot of that through risk assessments. That's Tim Groniger talking about developing a team-based model that improves patient outcomes and provider satisfaction. We'll hear more from Tim in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor, How much time do you spend in your EHR every day? You could reduce the time you spend documenting in your EHR with accurate speech recognition. Fusion Narrate, powered by Invoke, is a cloud-based speech recognition platform by Dolby. It lets you use your voice to take control of your EHR and start getting time back in your day. It's accurate, easy to use, and highly customizable, allowing you to focus on what's really important, patient care. Visit fusionnarrate.com slash MGMA to see how Fusion Narrate can speech enable your EHR. Our guest today is Tim Groniger, Chief Executive Officer and President of Caravan Health. Tim's here today to talk about how accountable care organizations are achieving improved patient and financial outcomes. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Glad to be here. First, let's get a better understanding about your work. Um, What has been your major area of focus this past year during the pandemic? Yeah. Like everyone, our world was thrown upside down and we had to very quickly change our plans and and adjust to uh, a very complicated and uh, frequently changing uh, reality. So uh, our client base is is heavily rural and uh, where we aren't rural, we we serve the safety net, county hospitals and uh, disproportionate share urban hospitals for the most part, who are working in value-based care programs and population health programs with us. Uh, So we, quickly uh, adjusted to help our clients stand up telehealth programs virtually overnight. We spent a fair bit of time advocating with CMS and other policymakers for uh, regulatory changes to enable payment for services in ways that they weren't historically allowed, uh, both in rural areas and elsewhere. Uh, and uh, and we, were, we were scrambling uh, all the time, looking for ways to help our clients uh, keep the doors open in many cases. The, the uh, revenue fall for a lot of our clients was very significant. Um, it, looking backwards, there's, there's been this massive amount of federal spending on it, but it wasn't totally clear at the time that that was gonna be adequate or that that was going to be uh, quick enough uh, and so we we were very much in in scramble mode from uh, from mid March through through the middle of the summer, really trying to help uh, help our clients uh, serve patients uh, in new ways, reach them uh, without seeing them in the office in many cases, or see them in the parking lot, or telehealth virtually, uh, obviously, 
Um, and only after uh, that initial scramble were we able to, to catch our breath and, and our clients were able to catch their breaths and, uh, and uh, think about what, what comes next in the, the next stages and, uh, into 2021. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. And uh, that's good news that you guys have been able to uh, make some adjustments there as well. So one of the interesting things here is you're going to be speaking at MGMA's Pathways Conference in May. The title of your session is Building High-Performing Primary Care Through ACO Strategies. Give us an idea of that. What can attendees expect to learn uh, by attending your session? Sure. So our organization is focused on helping providers get into and succeed in population health programs such as accountable care organizations. And so at that session, we'll talk about uh, on a, a unit economics level, how you can make a, a successful business out of serving your patients with enhanced primary care. And that, that's built around a team-based care organization. That's built around providing much more preventive care than you, would, uh, than you might provide outside of one of these programs, and much more intensive management of high-risk, high-cost, uh, high-needs patients uh, with, with deep care management programs and, and using technology to leverage your staff's time and to leverage your own time as a physician uh, to, uh, to be able to provide that, those services with the limited time you've got. Uh, so we 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 focus on unifying the the clinical operational and financial elements of success in these programs and so we'll get uh, we'll get pretty tactical around uh, business model planning and how you can uh, if you're already in one of these models how you can optimize it and if you're not then how to think about it that's great all right give us an example then of how accountable care organizations are in, uh, achieving improved patient and financial outcomes Sure. Uh, we, we've had all sorts of uh, stories that we've been collecting over the, the tail end of last year of how our clients uh, adapted uh, with, with us through, through the life cycle of the pandemic. And they, many of these clients, many of them in rural areas, organized around, uh, like providers all over the place, that had to quickly turn on telehealth and care management for their high-risk patients out of the office. But unlike providers who weren't in ACOs or who weren't working with us, they didn't have to build it from scratch. And so they already had care management programs in place where they were able to uh, shift their focus to patients who they knew needed to come in soon to manage their diabetes or to manage their heart condition and uh, reach them with their, nurse, with their nurse care managers, keep them out of the... Uh, we had one client uh, in the Midwest that was able to uh, keep their list of high-risk patients to to keep them all out of the emergency room for that uh, that you know the the entire post-pandemic period uh, through frequent touches with their care management staff uh, and avoid any emergency department visits for six months uh, when the pandemic started, which was you know never obviously trying to avoid emergency care is always valued, but it was particularly valuable in that time frame, uh, and so. Uh, there, there are uh, countless stories that came out like this last year and the creativity that, uh, that people were able to bring to bear on their, their own situations and their own local environments. Uh, but it was enabled by the tools that they had already put in place before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. Do you have one of those uh, stories that you could share with us? Something that could really shine a spotlight on what's going on out there? We, we had a, a client that was able to 
through a combination of, uh, of in-person sort of parking lot visits and then uh, intensive uh, care management follow-up and uh, outreach uh, keep their entire roster of identified high-risk patients out of the emergency room for uh, for six months last year um, uh, indefinitely. Essentially, we had um, we had a number of clients. Uh, we we tracked telehealth adoption across the uh, across our network and uh, went from basically from less than one percent of uh, patients being seen by telehealth to more than fifty percent of patient unique patients saw one of their providers through telehealth by the middle of October last year. Uh, so uh, really tremendous number of, uh, uh, of changes that were, that were handled very quickly by uh, these rural providers. Mm -hmm. What surprised you about this? Was it the resilience of the staff? Was it their adaptability? I mean, when you kind of take a step back, if you've even had a, a chance to exhale lately and think about it, what's something that just has, it has really surprised or amazed you about how things have gone and how people have have uh, risen to the occasion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I've been surprised by the creativity of uh, of the providers we work with because they they frequently uh, blow me away. Um, but but the the ways that it's expressed itself has been really impressive. Uh, we we had one um, uh, um, FQHC that we work with in Arizona that. Uh, Work, work, has, functions in a facility that that used to be a hospital and reorganized themselves as as uh, a quasi hospital during this time period to allow for for proper distancing and uh, and was able to to see patients and keep their staff healthy and uh, and really provide care in a completely different uh, structure than they had before. They they had implemented very simple telehealth. Uh, interventions or telehealth programs where uh, they outfitted their their providers with uh, you know with a very basic uh, arrangement they were able to do it from home or from in the office and um, uh, the speed with it with which it happened and the the you know the uh, this is not something that that I'm happy with but just uh, uh, sort of horrified by the toll it's taken on a lot of our uh, mm -hmm. clients as well it really comes through it's uh, still to it's you know still grinding people down and you really see that and I'm, I'm very worried about that uh, at this point not just for our clients but for doctors and nurses and other professionals uh, the the trauma that it's inflicted on them I've been you know uh, sort of horrified about that so we've got a lot of uh, time a lot of time is going to be needed for recovering and for uh, building resilience out of this I hope right is that something you've already been planning strategically on how to address that or what can be done about this PTSD PTSD and this trauma that people have been going through? Well, there's certainly not one silver bullet to that and, and every organization needs to assess that. In, in, in our symposium uh, in December, uh, Quint Studer presented uh, along with me a, a toolkit that, uh, that organizations can use. And this, this came from a, a health system in Cincinnati uh, that we adapted and, and shared with our clients around how to, uh, how to assess organizational trauma um, and how to allow for, you know, both on an individual level and an organizational level, how to allow for conversations about that and to, to chart paths forward. Uh, I think a lot of it also uh, getting your arms around uh, 
business plans and staffing plans that, that are realistic in terms of what people can accomplish is an important part of that as well, coming out of, uh, out of the pandemic era uh, and something that we'll be working with our clients on. Is there anywhere on the internet where our listeners could access that, that paper or that presentation? Is it on demand? Anything where people we, could? We do have uh, on our website, caravanhealth.com, we, we do have symposium content, including that one. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, you were earlier mentioning the importance of a team-based approach, a team-based model. Talk about that. Talk about how being strategic in that way, getting that collaboration and teamwork involved, how that's helped you guys um, and the practices out there survive and in some cases maybe even thrive. Sure. So our physicians uh, team likes to present a slide that shows uh, a chart of recommended services in preventive care and uh, other services that patients are recommended to get uh, versus a, a typical primary care physician's panel. And it, it shows that it re requires something like 65 hours uh, of working a patient care time per week or maybe even more, right? It, the, the point of it is that there's like one and a half or two X the amount of recommended services provided that, that can actually be provided. And so uh, we have uh, developed a model that is, uh, that is a team-based model that, that calls on everyone in the, the practice to, uh, to contribute to the patient's needs and, and defines roles for everyone, including uh, front office staff, people who help with access to care, people who recommend recommendations around how to, and best practices around how to organize the workday. Um, uh, that puts a lot and asks a lot of the nursing staff to be care manager, to be identifying um, where preventive care is missing and to be taking care of a lot of that through risk assessments and otherwise. Uh, roles that are important also for, for billing and back office staff. And then obviously the, the, the quarterback and coordinator of the whole operation, the, the physician or nurse practitioner, um, depending on the, on the office and, uh, and defining workflows for how those, how those teams work together to, uh, to really make best use of everyone's time, to see the right number of patients, see the patients you need to see, manage the other ones uh, remotely. Uh, ideally, now it's becoming much easier to do. Uh, it has become much easier to do. So that, that's where we spend most of our time in the first six months of an engagement with, with a new client is getting the team-based care uh, operational model right. And the, the good news is when you do that, that there are now uh, codes and revenue available for doing that in ways that there weren't, uh, both with uh, non-physician staff being able to provide a lot of these services and be billed under the physician's uh, ID, uh, or just many of these services that, that weren't ever billable uh, have become billable over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Let's talk then about measuring this. A lot of innovations have been put in place, a lot of new processes. Um, what have the what have been the KPIs and the other data points that have been top of mind for you to tell you if you're doing things going down the right path or if you need to make additional adjustments to make things work? Sure. I mean, we track, we, we spend a lot of time tracking process measures, which is not always uh, the most popular quality and, and outcome uh, measurement prep priority. Uh, certainly we want patient outcomes to improve, but to do that, we need to track process measures, right? 
And so we, we spend a lot of time with, with some pretty detailed assessments around um, how is patient access handled? How is, uh, how is your preventive care being provided? And then we track some, some KPIs, as you say, uh, within that of, you know, what's your annual wellness visit rate or what, how are you doing managing this defined list of patients? Uh, how often are you seeing them? That type of thing. And ultimately that, you know, it, you put those pieces together and uh, you, you want to be generating improvements in measured clinical quality on the, the most important metrics, things that are not pure process measures that are uh, diabetics, effective management of diabetic populations, uh, avoidance of, uh, of admission for, for certain types of patients, um, you know, metrics that will both affect your, your quality scores that are measured, but then also will affect your, your patient's experience and your downstream costs. Mm-hmm. When you look in a crystal ball about the whole thing that's going on now, do you see us ever going back to how we were or now that the genie's out of the bottle, so to, the spe- so to speak, with some of the virtual uh, visits and the expansion of telemedicine, are we in a new normal now? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? There have been a lot of changes here, many of them good. And uh, I, I think I've personally believed that uh, medicine has, has long lagged the, the rest of the economy in adoption of consumer technologies. That's not a you know, unique observation to me, but, um, and it's a problem. It, it frustrates people and more importantly, it, it limits access, right? And so it's been very, it's been great that there's been a, an explosion in access technologies over the last year. Um, there's some complicated regulatory questions around what, which pieces will survive. Um, we've advocated that uh, any provider in a risk-bearing relationship with, uh, with Medicare should be allowed to use telehealth services without limit and, be, uh, and bill for those services without limit. Um, essentially extend all of the uh, public health emergency provisions for providers in, uh, in risk-bearing ACOs and risk-bearing payment models uh, on the rationale that they, they internalize those costs and they will use them more effective. I know a number of policymakers, uh, especially on the Hill, have been concerned about reports of fraud in telehealth and concerned that uh, in a fee for, pure fee-for-service context that it could be abused, and I understand those concerns. Uh, but I, I think it would be a, a big mistake to go back to the prior regime uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, you have uh, touched on a lot of aspects here. Um, could be a little bit overwhelming to the listener. I mean, how do you, where do you begin? Where do you take those first steps? So give us an idea. How do you make these strategies work? If you're, you were talking about several practices already have a lot of these strategies in place. If you don't, or if you have strategies, but you're not quite happy with the processes you have, what, what are some first steps to take then? Well, you know, it's interesting. The, a lot of these payment models and these technologies that are useful, most useful in the payment models uh, were, were new and niche five, seven years ago and have now become widely under, understood or uh, if not universally adopted. And so it's rare now that we have a conversation where someone isn't at least familiar with the concept of what an ACO is and how it works, which is great. Um, and so that for those who have looked at it before and decided not to join, which is the, I'd say the, the most common folks who, are, who haven't joined, mm-hmm. uh, the, 
to me, the most important thing is to get your arms around what the business model is. Um, and I don't mean just the financial piece of it, but is what do, what do you need to put in and what can you expect to get out of it, both in terms of improvements in patient care and, uh, and financial uh, changes in your practice. And so that's, you know, we, we start with just unit economics. If you, if you look at individual patients and then that you can scale that to however large you are, but you know, what can you reasonably hope to generate in shared savings in one of these models? And the national average last year was $140. And so uh, in, in one year per patient. And so, mm -hmm. all right, that's a starting point. Hopefully you can do better. Uh, and what else, what can you generate in new preventive care revenue? Uh, more prevent, you know, more, preventive services delivered through annual wellness visits and, and elsewhere. Uh, what about new care management revenue for, for managing your high risk patients? And you put those pieces together on a per patient basis, you know, maybe you get to $200, maybe you get to 250 in that first year and want to increase shared savings later. Um, and then you think, well, what do we need to do that? Do we need a partner like Caravan Health? What are, what's it going to cost to work with them? What's the, you know, and we have we have relationships for, to take on uh, risk as well and, and performance-based uh, pricing. And so there's gonna be a piece there. What do we need in staff time is the most important uh, question as well. And we will, uh, you know, we'd sit down and walk through, here's the number of services we expect you'll be providing. Here's the amount of people time that you're gonna need. Um, and so what's that gonna cost? Is that gonna be $50 on a per patient basis? Is that gonna be something more or less? And so getting your arms around that uh, helps you see both, you know, over a, you know, let's do it over a five-year period because this is not a, this is not a, uh, this isn't a software widget where you just turn it on and it does something for you and you increase your billing. This is like we have to actually invest and make some changes, right? Mm -hmm. And then look at that and how do we feel about the situation? Is it going to produce something useful or is it going to be too much trouble? What do we need to change about the plan? So we, we try to spend a lot of that. That's what a lot of our upfront and onboarding conversation is about around how to make this work for a prospective partner. Okay. Well, thank you for that. As a final question, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want you to provide something, uh, maybe something the MGMA listeners may not know about you or something that you've been involved with in this past year from a work-life balance perspective, just to make sense of things, to just find a little bit of happiness, you know, amid all of the challenges that we've all been dealing with. Sure. Yeah, I have certainly had uh, plenty of stresses this year, like everyone else, even though I am very fortunate and have been able to work from home and haven't lost my job and, and all of that. Um, my kids just went back to school. I'm thrilled. They went back to in-person school and it's been strange adjusting to not having them here, interrupting all of my meetings. Um, I've tried, to, I've really loved being around them, even as they've uh, driven me crazy periodically. So uh, very conventional there. I've, I've been able to exercise more than I ever have in my life, not traveling, which has been sort of fun. Um, but it's also pretty restricted since it's not, you know, you're either masking up and working outside like 10 feet from people or doing it alone. And uh, that, that's been weird. So, and uh, I've been cooking quite a bit as well. So uh, we all have our coping mechanisms. Those are a couple of mine. All right. Well, Tim, thanks so much for sharing all of these thoughts with us today and stay safe out there. All right. Good talking to you, Daniel. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Tim Groniger. You can hear more from Tim at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Pathways Conference in May. 
For more information, go to mgma.com slash pathways conference. And thanks to Dolby for sponsoring this week's show. Visit fusionnarrate.com slash MGMA to see how Fusion Narrate, a cloud-based speech recognition platform by Dolby, can speech enable your EHR. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.